Well, over these next uh, few weeks, actually more than a few weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to be walking through uh, in this book, we're going to be walking through the miracles of Jesus, not all 37 of them. We're uh, kind of compacting that down to a specific group of miracles that we're going to be studying and looking through. Uh, then after Easter, we're going to be walking through again this book through the parables of Jesus. I would encourage you to get a hold of this book, take notes on the side. Those are my sermon notes for today. Take notes there on the side and Keep those things because this is going to create a library for you that you'll be able to keep for the rest of your lives. Uh, already this year, we've got the book of Revelation that we gave to you, the Bible journal. We gave to you the Bible journal for Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Now here, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, our prayer goal is in the next couple of years, we will walk through the entirety of, New, of the New Testament and you'll have an entire library of your notes and God's word that you will be able to look back on through the rest of your journey and the rest of your lives. So I encourage you to hang on to these things, bring them every week, bring a pen, uh, make some notes, take notes, write things down, and we'll continue to study and learn about what God wants us to talk about and learn about. Today we're gonna be in Luke chapter eight. Now in Luke chapter eight, and it's page 336 on your booklet that you have there, uh, we're gonna be looking at a story a story that has had lots of coverage. In fact, you find it in two other gospels. You find it in Matthew chapter eight, Mark chapter five. The story of the demoniac. Uh, this is the, the guy who was over on the other side of the Sea of Galilee that Jesus encountered. And, and we're gonna get to that story in a few moments. If you look through Luke chapter eight, the first part, you, you'll hear some stories where Jesus shared uh, some parables. He shared some thoughts uh, uh, that, that we can use to learn and figure out what it is that we need to know to walk with him. And then after the parables that he shared on the one side of the sea, it says, and uh, I think it's in verse 22, I think it is, that, that they got into the boat and they headed across to the other side. Now, you know this story, they are heading across to the other side, and as they're sailing across, the disciples are in the boat with him, Jesus is hanging out in the back of the boat taking a, taking a nap. And as he's taking a nap, the storm came, right? And then the, the boat was being, you know, tossed from to and fro. I mean, it was like a really rough storm. And, and in fact, the disciples thought they were going to die. And they went and they woke Jesus up. Because by the way, if you're in the middle of a storm on a boat and Jesus is on the boat and he's sleeping in the back and you think you're going to die, it's probably a good idea to wake him up. I think that makes sense. And so they went and they woke him up. And then he, of course, challenged them like, come on, seriously? He woke me up for this, and then he spoke the word. And what happened to the seas? They were calm. But then the rest of the story is that then they finished that journey. And they made their way across the sea, and they came to the land of the Gadarenes. Now, if you go back in history, you go back into the Old Testament, go all the way back to Joshua, when he led the children of Israel across the Jordan River, and they went in to claim the promised land for themselves. Uh, in that passage, in those passages, it tells us that there were a couple of tribes that did not come across with them. They came across to fight, but then they went back, and they wanted to be on the other side of the Jordan River. And one of those was the tribe of Gad. And Gad wanted to stay on the other side of the Jordan River, the, the eastern side of the Jordan River. And so that is the land that we're talking about. And so now here we are, like many, many years later, after the story of Joshua uh, coming across the Jordan River, and now uh, the, the tribe of Gad has kind of integrated there with a lot of Syrians. They've integrated with, of course, lots of Gentiles. And, and so they've kind of come accustomed to like what takes place in a world that is not completely, uh, totally following the Jewish law. And in fact, part of the story, we'll get to in a few moments, they became farmers and they, they were raising livestock, they were raising cattle, they were raising pigs. And can anybody tell me what the problem is when Jewish people raise pigs? Uh, 
Yeah, it's a problem, right? Uh, if you go to Israel today and you go to some Jewish restaurants and Hebrew restaurants uh, and you order like eggs and bacon, you will be thrown out of the restaurant because it does not happen. You can't get that because they don't eat them because they're unclean. And so uh, they've kind of integrated into that society and they've become this, this, uh, this group of people that are they're still devout, but yet they're, they're kind of just kind of, you know, moving a little bit further into a little bit more loosely affiliated and, and doing some things that, that they don't do on the other side of the Jordan River. And that's the land of the Gadarenes. And so that's where we start our story today. That's where we find ourselves in this place where, where Jesus is now entering into this land. And so let's go to verse 26 and let's read this passage. It says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out. He fell down before him and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. So Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered in him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine or pigs was feeding there on the mountain. And so they begged him that he would permit them to enter them. And he permitted them. And then the demons went out of the man. They entered the swine. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and were drowned. Now, this is a story, obviously, that has lots of unique perspectives, right? And so Jesus, as he arrives on the other side of the, the Sea of Galilee... He gets out of the water and instantly he is met with people. He has people that approach him and begin talking with him. And one of them is this demoniac. Now it's interesting because all through scripture, whenever they talk about a person who was demon possessed, what do they call them? Anybody tell me what they call people who are demon possessed anywhere in scripture? Here's what they call them. Demon possessed. That was a trick question, right? But yet here, they're called a demoniac. Now, actually, there were two people there. Matthew chapter 8 talks about that, but Luke decided because of his medical background, he focuses on one person and kind of gets into not only the issue of, of the fact that he was demon-possessed, but also the fact that there was mental illness here and there's other issues at play. And so here we talk about one of those two that met Jesus on the seashore that day. And, and so he comes up, and so Jesus gets out of the boat, and as he gets out of the boat, he, he is confronted with this demon-possessed man, this demoniac, and it says that this man who came there, he lived in the tombs and he was naked. If you ever get off of a boat on a cruise or wherever you might be and you are confronted by a man who lives in a tomb and is naked, run. That's a takeaway for today. Application of the message today, run from that man. Because obviously this is a serious situation. This was a lot deeper than uh, you know, lots of other stories. And I think that's the reason. Maybe there's a, a little bit of a variance here of why this man was called something different than just simply demon-possessed. It says that he was a man that was so far gone that they had tried to lock him down, shackle him down with chains 
to lock him down where he could not move and he could not walk. He could not bother anyone. And because of the power of the demons within him, that he was able to break those chains. And because of that, now they sent him off. They got rid of him. They put him in the wilderness. The demons took him out there to isolate him. He goes out into that place. He's living among the tombs. He's walking around. He's unclothed. Obviously, this guy is like a serious mental uh, case situation at this point, and you think like this guy is so far gone there is no hope. Which brings us to kind of the first idea that this passage gives us in the purpose of and the, the relevance of, the application of the miracles of Jesus in our lives where we can relate to this man, this demoniac, and that's this. This is what the isolation of sin will do to us. This is the isolation of sin. You go back to this passage and you read in these first couple of verses here as Jesus arrives, and it says in verse 27 in this passage, it says, and when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time, and he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but he's in the tombs. This is a guy who had long since been isolated from society. Long since he had been isolated from the, the things that could have helped him. Long since isolated from the encouragement that other believers could provide. Uh, coming alongside of him and helping him to walk through this season. This is a guy that at this point had been written off. Now, that's an important point for all of us when we talk about the relevance of Jesus' miracles uh, in the Gospels. Because there are many people in this room, certainly many people around the world today, that have gotten so far, so deep into sin, and so isolated from the things that can help you and encourage you and bring you back, that you yourself might feel that you're a lost cause. That you yourself might feel like there is no way that I can break the bonds of this sin. Now, understand that when I talk about the isolation of sin, that is the very purpose that Satan has for you. Satan's purpose is for you to get to the place in your journey where you feel like Sunday morning, man, come on, I could sleep in. I mean, come on, like I could do better things. I could go play golf, not today, be cold. I could go do lots of other things on a Sunday morning. I don't need to, I can do this faith walk, this journey. I can do it all by myself. I've heard many times, I've had opportunities just in the last couple of weeks of talking to some individuals that, that have shared with me that they've kind of, they've stepped away from church. They've stepped away from this corporate gathering of people coming together into worship and to, uh, to study the word together. And they, they always qualify it by saying this. And so what I do is I do church at my house. I do it on my own. Like I, I'll go on uh, online and I'll stream some sermons. I'll stream some, some passages there. And, and I'll do church on myself, by myself uh, on my own at my house. Let me make this very clear. God never intended for you to be a part of the body of Christ by yourself in your house. That is not God's design. The scriptures very clearly tell us, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. You go to Acts chapter 2 and the last parts of that passage, and it talks about how day by day they would gather together and they would encourage one another and they would fellowship with one another and they would pray with and for one another. And that is a critical component to battle against Satan's plan for you. And Satan's plan for you is for you to believe you don't need this. Now understand... I'm not saying that Thomas Road is the fix. What I'm saying is the body of Christ is the fix. 
There are lots of great churches in this community and around the world. And what I would tell you is if anybody ever asked me, do you really need to go to church to be a, you know, an active part of the body of Christ? The answer is absolutely always yes. That you need to be a part of what God does within the body of Christ. Are all churches perfect? No. There are churches that have blown it time and time again. There are challenges in every church. There are people in every church who, who don't do the things that God intended for them to do, and they, they thereby bring about some challenges and some problems and some issues that like, man, it's just conflict. Man, I don't even want to be a part of that because of the person. Also understand this. You are not here for the person in the room. You are here for the one who inhabits the praises of his people. And if there are broken people and challenging people and people that you don't like and people that anger you and people that you don't want to get along with or people you disagree with that are in the room, that is not an excuse to not come to church. That is an excuse to pray more while you're in church to help that person become all God intended them to be. And that is the plan, that's the, the, the pathway that God intended for the local church to look like. And there are people today, and I know this, and please forgive me, I understand. There are people who are in nursing homes, there are people who are homebound, they're watching this service. Do not for a moment, uh, when I say this about gathering together as the body of Christ, I'm not, I know there are unique circumstances and situations. I get it, and I understand that. And I'm not saying that you're sinning by not showing up here. But if you're able, if you can show up at a restaurant on Saturday night, you can show up on a church on Sunday morning, and you can be a part of the body of Christ. It's an important element because Jesus uh, understood in this, this lesson that he gave to us, kind of an underlying lesson we can learn, is that there are so uh, many times that Satan tries to isolate us. He isolates us from the body first, and then when he isolates us from the body, the body of Christ, he then will then begin to isolate us towards sin. And it'll start to slowly creep in. And it's like what was a big deal now it becomes like not that big of a deal. And after it's not that big of a deal, it becomes common practice. And after it becomes common practice, it becomes the, the, the rule rather than the exception. And pretty soon you get further and further and further and further into this life of sin. And when you get to that place, here's what will always, listen, always, always happen is that it will grip you and it will shackle you just as much as the demoniac was shackled and lost in the tombs and walking around naked looking like a crazy guy. That's exactly what will happen with you. Now, I don't think you'll be walking around Lynchburg naked. I don't think you'll be living over at Fort Hill Cemetery. If you are, uh, you're probably going to jail. But it will do just the same thing because it will shackle you away from all that God intends. And we've got to fight against that. And so one of the stories, one of the lessons from this story is very clear, is like this man had been isolated because of the demons that had had overcome him. And by the way, don't ever forget that the demons are still active today, right? We love, as a church, talk about we believe in the power and the presence of guardian angels. But let me just tell you something. If angels exist, guess what else exists? Demons. They're very much active. They're very much at work. And so we need to recognize and understand like the isolation of sin will always destroy you. Always destroy you. And so we've got to make sure we fight against that. But then we see in this next verse, verse 29, or the a couple of verses down, it says, For it often had seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. 
Now, what's the, the, the continuation that we can learn from this in this isolation of sin? Well, what we see is this, is that when he began this, this attack by the demons, the attack of sin and evil in his life, obviously there were people who tried to, tried to help him and they tried to lock him down. They tried to, to, to maybe figure out a way to kind of help him not hurt himself or hurt others, right? So they shackled him down. But then it says, and this is an important point, you ought to underline this in verse 29, the second part of that verse, is that, that, that they, the demons, broke the chains. Now listen, that is a statement of the power of evil in our lives. Now, I do not believe ever that a Christian person, a person who's truly a child of Christ, I do not believe that the, the demons can possess them. I don't believe that for a minute, okay? But what I do, mean, I do, do uh, believe is that Satan and his demons do have an effect. They do have power over us. Not absolute power, but they absolutely do have power over us. In John 10, 10, it says the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Like he's out for you. He's gunning for you. And so that passage, what it teaches us is this, is that when you, like when you're struggling in an area, understand this, when you begin the struggle, that is when the powers of evil and the powers of Satan himself, that is when they will come at you in an even more aggressive way than they did in the beginning. They will come after you like with all barrels loaded. They will come after you like ready to rock and roll in your life because they see a weakness. They see a, a little chink in the armor. They see that you've given in to sin a little bit here and you've allowed yourself to kind of creep a little bit away from truth and a little bit away from the gospel and a little bit away from the word of God and you're not spending time in the word of God as much as you once did and you're not spending time talking to Jesus uh, through the word of God, through prayer as much as you once did. You're not spending time gathering together with other believers and when that happens, let me tell you something, hell erupts in praise. Because they say, man, we've got another one. And they're coming after you. You see, that isolation comes and it destroys everything. But here's the good news. The good news is, and we see this in verse 30, is that the power of God is over everything. That the power of God is absolute. Look what it says in verse 30. In verse 30, it says this, And Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain. And so they begged him that he would permit them to enter to them. And he permitted them. And then the demons went out of the man, entered the swine, herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. Listen, go back to this passage. Do me a favor. Get, if you've got a pen out or if you're following along on your phone, you can do it and highlight in there. I want you to highlight a couple of different things here. The first one is this. I want you to go back to verse 28, and I want you to underline this, this question. What have I to do with you? You see that in verse 28? Underline that. What have I to do with you? That's the, the demons talking to Jesus. Now, go down again into verse 30. In verse 30, or 31, I'm sorry. And it says to the demons, it says, and they begged him. Underline, and they begged him. Then go down to verse 32, where it says, so they begged him, underlined, so they begged him again. And then it goes on to say that he would permit them, underline, permit them. And then it goes on in the next statement, and he permitted them, underline the word permitted them. Why did I just tell you to underline all those things? Because that is a statement from the word of God that tells us that even the demons of Satan and all of hell is under the authority of Jesus Christ. Even the demons had to say, Jesus, we beg you, don't do this to us. 
We beg you, let us go over there. And then he permitted them. In other words, let me just tell you something. Understand, in the middle of our journey, because all of us have challenges, all of us have these moments where we struggle against sin, we struggle against evil, we struggle to do the right thing when we so often fall back to the wrong thing, and don't feel like you're a loser in that. The Apostle Paul himself said, man, I know what to do is right, but yet I keep doing that which is wrong. The Apostle Paul had the same problems that all of us do because we're born with a sinful nature. We're born longing to do what is darkness, longing to do what is evil. But understand, in the midst of that longing, in the midst of that challenge, in the midst of that temptation that is always present, understand that all of it is under the authority of Jesus Christ. All of it. And so if you sit back here today and you tell me, man, I've tried. I've tried to do everything I can to get away from this sin. God will give you the authority. God will give you the power. And all you must do is trust Him. All you must do is lean into the promise and the hope that that is exactly what Jesus has promised in the midst of this miracle that happened 2,000 years ago. And yet here the story is twice. They said, so they, they begged Jesus for permission. They begged Jesus for permission. Don't you love the fact that we serve a God that even Satan himself has to beg for permission from Jesus to do anything? And that's what this passage teaches us. And so we see the story. And so it says that they begged him to go into the swine. Again, that's an important part because it tells us a story of like what was going on in the midst of the land of the Gadarenes. They had kind of connected with the people who were Gentiles and the Syrians and, and they were raising all of the cattle and the pigs and all those kinds of things. They were kind of like, like one foot in and one foot out. And here's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Are we? Because we live in a world today where we are integrated in society. In fact, God very clearly tells us, like, no, don't isolate yourself. Don't go out in the mountainside somewhere and, you know, say we're the body of Christ and we're going to stay away from the world because if we stay away from the world, the world's going to go to hell. We're to live in the world, not of it, but in it. And so the question is, like, like how are we doing in the, the aspect of, like, one foot in and one foot out? Are we leaning into the truth and the promise and the hope of Scripture and, and, and doing all that God has called us to do and being all that God has empowered us to be? Or are we literally straddling the line as the Gadarenes were, as they were walking through this passage, or walking through this season where they were like, eh, we want to be this, but yeah, we want to be this got to make sure that we recognize, man, the power of God is over everything. And if that's true, then it's far more wise for us to lean into the power of God than it is to lean away from it. But then this last part of the passage, verse 28, we go back a couple of verses. And what we learn is this, is that even the evil recognizes the power and the presence of Jesus. Verse 28, and when he saw Jesus, that's talking about the man, the demon-possessed man, he saw Jesus and he cried out. And he fell down before him and he, uh, with a loud voice, he said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. Again, another begging of Jesus here. Now, why is it important to recognize this statement? James chapter 2 says the same thing, that even the demons recognize who Jesus is and they tremble, right? Well, we get that. Luke 10, 17, the same idea. Even the demons are subject to the power that you have given to us, God. And so we recognize that all of this, here's what you need to understand. Even the demons recognize who Jesus is. 
That's why we live in a culture today that is such on an attack, on an affront, to put down the name of Jesus. If you want to go and go to some capital somewhere and get permission to pray before uh, the houses of parliament or the houses of senate or or delegates or, or congressmen, wherever that might be in a state or at the federal level, man, you could get up there and you could pray in the name of Buddha and nobody cares. Man, you could get up there and you could call Allah, no one cares. You could get up there and say whatever you want to say. But the minute that you pray in the name of Jesus, it's divisive. I was at a gathering a couple of weeks ago, and I was at a gathering with a bunch of pastors. And while we were gathering this, uh, this together, we were praying together, different people were praying, and we, it was a, a widely attended event where there was lots of different denominations there, and lots, even lots of different religions were there. And so, uh, you know, a lot of us were praying and, and praying in front of and, and before the crowd and, and, and many of them that were praying, man, it was, it was powerful. It was passionate, praying in the name of Jesus. We were crying out to Jesus for help in, in, in our world today, in our community today. We were praying for the power of Jesus over our young people today, over our schools today. And man, we were praying in the name of Jesus. Well, it was interesting that I went to a meeting not long after that. And one of the pastors who was in that first meeting was in the second meeting and that pastor spoke up and he actually said these words he says I was disturbed by that prayer gathering the other day and I found it to be very disturbing because it was so uh, so focused on Jesus and I'm sitting back thinking this is a guy who's a pastor of a church that is supposed to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and yet he's sitting there disturbed in the name of Jesus. Let me just tell you something. The world is disturbed by the name of Jesus. The world is disturbed. Satan is disturbed. Why? Because Jesus is the only hope we have. There are people today that are gripped by sin. You've allowed yourself to walk down a path where you are so far into this thing that you feel there's no hope whatsoever. I've met with some of you, even in the last couple of weeks, where you've shared, like, man, I don't know what to do. I feel like God's calls on my life, but man, I'm gripped by this one sin, and I can't get out of it. Let me just tell you something. Yes, you can, because there is nothing that can overcome you. And yes, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 tells us that we wrestle not against flesh, but we wrestle against principalities and powers of the air. We wrestle against demonic powers in this age. We absolutely do. But let me just tell you something. In the middle of that wrestle, in the middle of that battle, in the middle of that fight, I want you to know God has already promised the win because even the demons themselves tremble at the name of Jesus. And so the only thing that can keep you from experiencing the deliverance, the miraculous deliverance of God in the midst of your journey, in the midst of your situation, where you're looking for God to do that one big thing that only He can do, the only thing that's stopping you is crying out to the only one who can make a difference. So let me give you a couple of quick takeaways. You can write down in the notes here. A couple of quick takeaways. I think they'll be on the screen. I'm not sure. Understand, number one, the attacks of Satan are just as real today as they were 2,000 years ago. There's no difference. When we read about the stories of Satan in the Bible, when we read about what demons did in the Bible, understand it is still present today. There are some people today that would argue against that, and if they would argue against it, that's fine. They could argue they'll be wrong. Satan is active in our world today, and he's out for you. In fact, I would say he is more out for you than he is out for the world. 
He wants to take us down. And so the tombs that we live in today are not the tombs, literal tombs, they're figurative tombs. Because the tombs in which we live are the sins that we are so wrapped up in. The things, the shackles that we are shackled down are the things that we just keep giving into and we keep leaning back towards or, or, or dabbling in because we think it's not that big of a deal. Sin is always a big deal. And it doesn't matter how small a sin or how big a sin, it's all a big deal. And when you're dabbling in sin, understand Satan is using that as one more step of pulling you into the tombs, the figurative tombs like the demoniac, to get you away from God and get you away from God's people and get you away from the encouragement that we need to pull you so far away from it that you get to the place where you feel there is no hope. So the Satan's, Satan's attacks are just as real today as they were 2,000 years ago. Second point of application we need to recognize is the greatest tools that we have to combat the influence of evil is running after the truth. Is running after the truth. In other words, like this right here, the Word of God. The reason the Word of God was given to us was for one reason and one reason alone, so that we could get to know God better to battle against the things of this world, so that we can understand what truth is, so that we can see the power of the gospel. And so we need to spend time in the gospel. We need to spend time reading His Word over and over and over again. Last fall, Matt Wilkins, who's one of our uh, one of our members here, and it speaks in a lot of different places, uh, evangelist. Uh, he put out a challenge on uh, Facebook or Twitter or something. I can't, somebody showed it to me that, that he was reading through the book of November, um, the entirety of the New Testament. You know, some people don't shave in November. He was reading through the New Testament in November. And so I joined with him and, and, and did that back in November. And when we started this fast two weeks ago, I decided I'm going to read through the entire New Testament again in 21 days. Now listen, I've read the New Testament many times in my journey, lots of times in my life. I've done it over and over and over again. And here's what I know. The more I read it, the more I need to. Let me say that again. The more I read it, the more I need to. Because it is so easy to do something like this out of routine, out of rote, uh, you know, pat, like I'm just checking a box, like, oh yeah, I'm reading it, check, 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 that we lose sight of the fact we're doing it more for the check than we are for the impact. So the more I read it, the more I realize, man, I need this even more. And even in this season right now of prayer and fasting, you know, when, when I'm not eating any food for the last two weeks. By the way, I'm looking forward to the Super Bowl more than any Super Bowl in history. And I gotta be honest, I don't even know who's playing. Who's playing the Super Bowl? Chiefs and who? Chiefs and 49ers, awesome. I didn't know that till right now. Awesome, man, look, looking forward to the Super Bowl. Not for the game. I'm looking forward to what I'm going to do during the game. And what I'm going to do during the game is I've already ordered from Chicago a deep dish pizza that thick that will be piled high of cheese and pepperoni and I'm gonna put it in the oven for 45 minutes and I'm gonna get out it, get it out and I'm gonna eat the entire thing all by myself. My family, they're on their own. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. But in the middle, when you're not eating anything for 21 days and like you're focusing on the Word of God, here's what happens, here's what happens. You see things you've never seen before. Man, I've read some things just in the last couple of days. Last, last night, I, I, read the book, I read through the book of Philemon. Are you impressed that I read through the book of Philemon? Yeah, it took me 18 seconds. I mean, it was like really, 
But man, it allows you to go deeper. It allows you to see things you've never seen before. And out of the book of Philemon, I'm sitting there like, this is powerful. Why? Because the word of God is what you need to battle against the powers of Satan. And that's what he's given it to us for. And so we spend time in the word of God. We spend time in prayer and it guides us away from, from Satan's plan back to God's. And then the third thing, when Satan gets a foothold, we have nothing to fear. Why? All we have to do is bring Jesus into the room. If Jesus had never sailed across the sea and come to the land of the Gadarenes, guess what? That dude would have lived the rest of his life. He would have lived himself, the rest of his life in the tombs. He would never have worn another stitch of clothing. People would have stayed away from him. No one wanted to be around him. That's what would have happened. But the moment Jesus came into the room, everything changed. In your journey, understand, in your journey, the only thing that is keeping you from the breakthrough that you're looking for is getting Jesus into the room. And that's what we've got to focus on. So do me a favor, go back to the Bible journal you have in front of you. Turn back a page. And I want to end with this because it's a, it's a powerful narrative, a story of how two miracles intersect, of how a question is asked in the midst of one miracle and the answer is given in the next. Because in that passage in verses 22 and following, when they're out on the sea and the storm comes, and the disciples are scared, they're fearful, they're thinking they're going to die, and they run and they grab, they grab Jesus who was hanging out in the boat asleep. They wake him up. He's like, why did you wake me up? He, he calms the sea. And you'll notice there a question that the disciples asked. You see the question there? The question was this, who is it that even the waves obey? Who is it that even the trials of life have to give into? Who is it that no matter how bad the day might seem, He's always the answer. Who is it that Satan himself cannot overcome? Who is this man? And we flip back to verse 27. I'm sorry, verse 28. And the answer is given to us. And it says, when the demons saw Jesus, they cried out, they fell down before him, and with a loud voice they said this, what have I to do with you? Here's the answer to that question. Who is it? Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. Now understand, the reason I pointed that out, and I'm going to close with that, is this. That in your life, when Satan has a foothold, when sin is bound, binding you and shackling you down, when you bring Jesus into the room, understand what the demons did not do. You would think when they saw Jesus coming, they would run the other way. It doesn't say that. It says when he got off the boat, they met him there. And it says when they met him there, they didn't attack him. They didn't fight with him. They didn't argue with him. Do you know what it says? We just read it. It says this. They fell down before him and cried out, Jesus, son of the most high God. Satan doesn't have a prayer in your life when Jesus is in the room. And so today, there are lots of things where we need to bring Jesus into the room. And with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, 
The story of this miraculous showing up of the power of God in this place. I want you to ask yourself, like, where is it that I need to bring Jesus into the room? Now, in a moment, we're going to conclude our, our service with a time of invitation. And our, our team is gathering now across the front as we do every week. If you're here today and bringing Jesus into the room in your life means you want to meet him because you've never given your life to him, today's the day to do that. Our team is here. We'd love to talk with you about that. Maybe you want to come and join our church or come for baptism. Please do that. But maybe it's the kind of thing today that that thing in your life, whatever it might be, that thing in your life is something you need to come down to this altar just by yourself. Maybe you grab a card and you just write it down. Again, I'm not asking for confidential stuff, right? If you've got a sin that just keeps like banging you upside the head, fine. Just come down and write the word sin. I need victory over sin. Awesome. Don't get your name. Just like write that down. I just want you like, to come down. We need to, where is it that you need to bring Jesus into the room? And so as, as Charles finishes our service, leads us in time of worship here, the altar's open. I just encourage you, like the altar's open. Our team is here. The cards are here if you want to use those. If you've got another prayer request, maybe you didn't get a chance last week, I encourage you to write you know, that, that, that prayer request down, whatever it might be. But we're just going to stand right now. And we're going to take just a, a couple of minutes. And maybe, you know, Charles will just lead us through. When Charles is done with the song, we're done. But what is it that you need to recognize in your life where you need to bring Jesus into the room? And I want this right now, that kind of an internal focus in every person here, asking yourself that question, where do I need to bring Jesus into the room? Ask yourself that question. The altar's open, the cards are here if you've got a prayer request or if you just wanna write down that thing, leave it here at the altar, awesome. But let's worship together and seek the face of our God. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.